I want us to sing one quick worship song before I minister today, and I'm going to talk to you for the second week in a row on landmines in the walk of faith. Today I'm going to deal with something a lot of people don't deal with, but I guarantee you it deals with you, and that is landmines of offense towards God. And so we're going to look at that today. Let's stand and worship just one more time. One more time, everybody, and lift it right up to Jesus. And we cry, we cry, oh, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Amen. Let's put, a, let's put a couple of passages up here that I want you to see. And I want to look at two sisters and how they responded to Jesus when Jesus did not do what they thought he would. Here it is. Martha said to Jesus, first of all, Martha, she said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now I want you to put in the back of your brain, she didn't say that with a smile. Okay, then here comes Sister Mary. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same statement, two different women. I want to talk to you today about the landmine of offense toward God. There are some of you here today who, truth be known, deep down, there's an offense with God. I want to talk to you about that, and I want you to be set free from it. We're going to see that God never fails. God does not fail us. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that, God, you will bless it today. Lord, I pray that not only here, but all of our friends by radio will be set free from those offenses that are aimed vertically at God. Set us free. Help us to understand your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, God didn't do it to you. <laughs> the Lord is good, and I'm so thankful for everything He's doing with us. I want to uh, remind you that last time we talked about the landmine of offense toward others. We are doing a series on landmines in the walk of faith. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I had a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit when I was 18, 37 years ago. I've been walking with the Lord quite a while. That makes me 55, in case you're adding. And that's hard for me to believe. But I started preaching when I was 18. So I've been doing this a long time. And I, as a pastor, you see the underbelly of the church. You see what comes against people. You see what makes people fall away. You see what makes people stumble. And I can tell you that one of the things I've seen through the years is I've seen people get offended with God. I've seen it many times. And so I want to talk to you about that as a landmine today. Now, the devil plants landmines in your path. 
He plants landmines under the ground. A landmine is concealed. It's hidden. It is meant to take you by surprise. When a landmine blows up under you, you lose a limb. It's catastrophic. You may die. That's what the devil's landmines are designed to do. Blow up under your feet, take you by surprise, shake and rattle your faith, and cause you, as it were, to lose a spiritual limb, to knock you out of the race, to disillusion you, disenchant you, discourage you. That's what landmines are meant to do. The devil is a master landmine planter, and he is crafty. The Bible says in Genesis that he was the craftiest, subtlest creature in God's creation. He does not walk up to you in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and a tail and say, boo. He does not make things go bump in the night. He is diabolical. He is strategic. He is thoughtful about how he plants minds in your path. He knows you. He knows what he had you with before. He knows what easy, most easiest makes you stumble, most easily makes you stumble. He knows you. And so he plants landmines. We're walking along and everything is good and we're praising God and all of a sudden, kablooey. Now, I told you last week that one of his favorite tactics is offenses. And last time we talked about horizontal offenses between people. And if you didn't get that last week, if you weren't here last week, you need to get the CD. Because I'm telling you, it's real. I'm not giving you little religious uh, sayings or statements or little fluffy things where we can just go out and say, praise the Lord, wasn't that wonderful, a good fuzzy sermon. I'm giving you stuff that you're going to put in your pocket tomorrow and use. This is practical, real. We got to avoid offenses. Offenses have the ability to take us out, to defile us, to embitter us to get us out of prayer, out of church, away from fellowship. Offenses are designed to be landmines. But what about offense towards God? You say, well, Pastor Jeff, how can anybody be offended towards a loving God? Well, I know a lot of them. Offended towards God. Something happens you don't understand. Now, let me give you the background of the story we just read. Let me talk to you about this, this vertical offense towards God. Now, the background of the story is, is that this sibling trio of Mary Martha and Lazarus had come to know Jesus. They were friends with Jesus. Jesus had been over to their house many times. They, had, they had, uh, had him for dinner. He had sat in their living room and taught them the Word of God. They were more than just acquaintances. They had become friends with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, based on their relationship, one day Lazarus became gravely ill. And Mary and Martha, based on the friendship they had with Jesus, sent a 911 entourage to find him and tell him his friend, Lazarus, was sick, gravely ill. This was not a cold. This was serious. Now, rather than dashing off, as most of us would do, and running to Lazarus, Say, oh my Lord, my friend is sick, let's go heal him. Inexplicably, at the time, Jesus just sat there with his disciples and didn't do anything. God, it seemed, wasn't doing anything. Now, unbeknownst to the two sisters, when the entourage left, 
Jesus told his disciples about two days later, as he sat there for four days, he told his disciples two days into the four days that Lazarus had died. He knew this long distance because he's God. Jesus knows everything. He was God. And so when Lazarus died, he told his disciples, he's dead. And then he said something strange to them. He said, but I'm glad for your sakes that he died. Because if I had not been there, or because I wasn't there, and he died, now your faith is going to be built on a level that you would never have experienced had he not died. Now, isn't that strange that Jesus was glad that a tragedy, a seeming tragedy, had happened? So they're going, well, how is it good that he died? We don't get it. He was your friend. Why didn't you go heal him? So you can imagine all the questions that were running through their mind. Now, in the meantime, the sisters knew nothing about what Jesus had told his, his disciples. They had no idea what he was saying, what he was doing, or what his attitude towards the event even was. It was, it was a mystery to them that Jesus had not shown up. And I've got to tell you, I don't blame them. We can imagine what it looked like on the surface to these two sisters. Jesus seemed to have a K-sera-sera attitude about the whole deal. You know that their eyes had been peeled on the horizon, watching the road with bated breath for Jesus to show up as his fever got worse and his condition grew graver. You know their eyes were peeled for him, and he never came. When Lazarus died and still know Jesus, I want to tell you something. The landmine of offense toward God blew up under their feet. This isn't what you taught us about yourself. We thought you were love. We thought you cared. We thought you were our friends. How could you have been so apathetic? How could you have been so far away? How could you have let this go? Everything they believed about Jesus, listen church, was deeply tested. You can hear it in the words of both sisters. You can hear it. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. You failed us. You failed him. We don't get it. Where were you? What's going on? How could you have let this happen? Anybody ever said that to God? How could you have let this happen? Where were you when all this was coming down? How could you have just sat by and let this steamroller roll over me? I guarantee you, the eyes of the sisters were searching his face. Their words were pained. The spectacle of mourners just yards away when Jesus finally showed up, it looked like a day late and a dollar short. The spectacle of mourners yards away, crying, wailing, wearing black, and weeping at the tomb of Lazarus said it all. Listen, disappointment and tension filled the air. When he finally walked up. Now I want you to listen carefully to me. This is a landmine. Offense toward God usually boils down to one thing. Failed expectations. Failed expectations happen when God doesn't do what we thought he could. When we thought he should. The way we thought he would. 
Now, I'm going to say that again. Here we are. We got faith. We believe God. And somehow, some way, God doesn't come through. And when God doesn't come through, there's failed expectations. And, and in one of these three ways, He does not come through. He doesn't do what we thought He could do, when we thought He should do it, the way we thought He would do it. When you start believing God for something, believe it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, you've usually got a picture in your mind of how it's going to happen. As a matter of fact, that's how you're praying according to the picture in your mind. You've got faith. People around you have faith. Others are standing in agreement with you. Here you are. You've got a loved one like Lazarus who stands in need of a miracle. Or a prodigal child needs to come home. Or a new business venture needs to take off and fly. And you just know it's going to happen. Your faith is strong. It's boiling. You are convinced. Your faith is high. You're standing on the promises and not just sitting on the premises like some people. Others are standing in agreement with you. The whole setting seems poised for a miracle. And then pow, the loved one passes away. The prodigal child only gets worse. The new business venture doesn't fly at all. And there you are. Your mind reels. Where was God? My faith was good. I was told if I had faith that whatever I believed for would happen. And I'm not here today to say that doesn't happen. But I'm addressing something that absolutely happens in the lives of people. Like a red hot arrow, the thought shoots through your mind. How could he have disappointed me this way? Where was God? Didn't he hear me? Didn't he care? Where was he? Where is he? Now, I don't know if you've ever gone through that. David the psalmist did. He said, how long, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Read the Psalms. I'm so glad David told the truth about his experience. Just like the two sisters, you are double-punched with disappointment and disillusionment. Doubt creeps into your soul like fog coming in under a locked door. And you go, Disappointed, Lord, I don't understand. Now listen, you're offended with God. Or better put, you're offended with the God you were expecting. Now, now, why am I dealing with this? Because there are people not in church today because they're offended with God. They've walked away because they're offended with God. When this happens, when your faith is let down and you are really believing and you don't understand the ways of God, when this happens, your faith can become scandalized. And that's what an offense does. An offense means stumble. It means you have been scandalized. It means it's something has made you trip. Something has made you trip in your walk of faith. You, you trip and you fall. You skin your knee. You're down. That's, that's what offense means. Scandalon is the Greek word. Scandalon. Scandalized. When you have been offended, it means there's a scandal going on in your soul. You're scandalized. Jesus talked about this. He said, He that receives seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word and receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, by and by he is offended and falls away. So you've got somebody praising God with the best of them. They're here every time the door is open. They love the Lord. 
They're excited. They go to prayer meeting. They go to Wednesday night. They are excited. They witness to everything that moves. And then all of a sudden you wonder, where have they been? What happened to them? And then you find out something happened that offended their faith. And they did not have the roots they needed and they fell away. Offense towards God can cause subtle erosion that begins to eat away at your trust in Him. You may not even know it. It may be something working down on your subconscious, but you have been offended with God. Failed expectations like mild earthquake tremors shake you from your walk of faith. I read recently of a little parakeet named Chippy. I couldn't believe this story about Chippy. I got to tell you, the problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) This was in a newspaper. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang. She turned to pick it up. She barely said hello and zoop. Chippy got sucked in. The bird's owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. There was Chippy, still alive, but stunned. (laughs) As if this weren't bad enough, Chippy's ordeal took another turn for the worse. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the running water. Then, realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted her beloved pet with hot air. (laughs) A few days after the trauma, the reporter who'd initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird, Chippy, was recovering. Well, the owner said, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. (laughs) He just sits and stares. (laughs) I know a few people like Chippy. You know you've been through fire and flood when all you can do is sit and stare. From time to time, listen, whether you're saved or not, life will suck you in, wash you up, and blow you over. And that's exactly what the offense of failed expectations with God can cause. Uh, It takes your song away. I don't know if you've ever lost your song. It's a bad thing when a Christian loses their song. That's really what the devil is after. He's after your song. Because when you've got a song for God, everybody hears it, everybody sees it. He wants to take, listen, he's not out to make something go bump in the night and scare you and give you a nightmare. No, no. Satan's after your song. He's out to chippy you. Now I want you to care, listen, he's out to chippy you. He wants to take your song away. He wants to affect your faith. Because that skip in your step and that gleam in your eye and that smile on your face are God's greatest billboard. And so know that the devil's after your joy. He's after your, your victory. He's after your triumph. He's after your song. 
The psalmist wrote about this. He said, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? He wrote that about their captivity. Because those that had taken them captive said, sing a song of Zion for us. And they said, we can't sing. We don't have a song anymore. We're in captivity. How are we going to sing the Lord's song? Not just any song, the Lord's song. The song of joy, the song of victory, the song of triumph. How are we going to sing that song when we are captive in a strange land? The devil took their song away until they got their homeland back. Then they got their song back. And the devil wants to put a landmine of offense under your feet and he wants it to blow up under you. And if he can't get you offended horizontally, he'll get you offended vertically with God so that your song is taken away. You come into church mechanically. What you used to do out of desire, now you do out of duty. The song is gone. The victory is gone. The zeal is gone. The first love is gone. Because you got chippied. Here's the fact. When you've been chippied by failed expectations, when it has chippied you, you know, I used to believe in the Lord. I had great zeal, but boy, I'll tell you, I was believing for some things and I just knew God was going to do some things and all hell broke loose in my life. And now I just don't understand it. And I got to tell you, I don't have a song anymore. I, mean, I want a church that has a song. I don't want the devil to successfully chippy you. I don't want you to lose your shout of victory. I don't want you to forget from whence you have come. I want your song back. So I'm going to give you a fact and a response and an attitude. To avoid being chippied by failed expectations, I'm going to give you a fact, a response, and an attitude. Now here's the fact. God did not fail you. You were failed by the God you were expecting. Now let me tell you the difference. There can be the God you're expecting and the God who is. Sometimes the God you're expecting is not the God who is. You can get bad teaching that you ought to expect certain things from God that aren't really true or aren't really in the Word of God. And so you believe for that and it doesn't happen and you get chippied. Or you presume that God's going to do a, a certain thing. You assume He's going to do a certain thing. And I'm not telling you not to believe God. But we're going to see in a minute, sometimes He's got another plan. And so sometimes it's not God who's failed us, but it's the God we were expecting. See, Mar Martha and Mary were expecting Jesus to do one thing and one thing only. They had a narrow view of what, God, what Jesus was going to do about their brother. He was going to come immediately and heal him. That's the one they were expecting. And the one they were expecting did not show up. The one they were expecting did not move according to the way they thought he would. And you know why? Because Jesus had another plan. Now, on your very best day, when you pray in the Spirit and you believe God for something, a lot of the times, on your best day, you don't pray totally according to the will of God because you're finite and you see through a glass darkly and you don't fully know what God wants to do in some situations. And that's not a criticism. It's just a fact. It's like driving at night when the rain is pouring and trying to see through a windshield that's muddy and wet. 
And when God doesn't come through for you the way you thought He would and the way you thought He should, your pain clouds up that windshield. And sometimes you can't even see the road. And we need to understand that all the time God answers our prayers in a better way, in a different way than what we were asking because He had a better idea the whole time. In their minds, what could be better than Jesus coming and healing my my brother before he dies? But in Jesus' mind, I'm raising him from the dead. And when he gets up from the dead, it's going to blow their minds. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to change their life. I'm about to define who I am. And so instead of answering their prayers the way they've asked, I'm going to do exceeding, abundantly, above all they could even think about to ask. That's what the Bible says. Everybody say with me, he does exceeding, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. That tells me on our best day, our brains cannot come up with some of the things that God wants to do. But when he doesn't come through like we were expecting, we get chippy. Come into church. What's the matter? From now on, here's what I want you to say to people What's the matter? You look chippied. (laughs) Or you tell them, I'm chippied. I need prayer. (laughs) Jesus had another plan. He privately told his disciples, I'm glad that he's died, that you might experience an increase in your faith. Not one of them in their wildest dreams knew what Jesus had up his sleeve. His plan was bigger and better by far than theirs. I've experienced that before. I've named it and claimed it and blabbed it and grabbed it and fasted and bound and loosed and still not gotten what I was believing for. But when I hung in there with God, stayed in there with God that I'm going to talk to you about in just a moment, I saw that God's plan was bigger. God's plan was greater. God's plan was better. So that's what happens sometimes. It all came down to trusting Him, even when the God they were expecting did not come through. Now, that's the fact. Here's the response. Here's the response when you don't understand. Worship Him. Worship Him. Even when you don't understand. Worship Him. The Bible says the two sisters had exactly the same thing to say to him. They both said the same thing. They said, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But their actions were totally different. Their attitudes were different. True to form, Martha was just ticked. Every time you find Martha, she's ticked. She's just mad. You find Martha banging around in the kitchen, Rattling pans, mad at Mary for sitting in there listening to Jesus. Every time you run across the woman, she's mad. So she just kind of told Jesus what for. And I picture it this way. If only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? I don't think that I'm far off there. But the Bible says that Mary, true to form, fell at his feet in a posture of worship. She fell at his feet. And what came out of her was totally different. Lord, if only you'd been here, 
he wouldn't have died, but I believe still you can do something. Same words, two different reactions. You're going to be a Martha, get mad at God, walk out of church, get out of the Word, get out of prayer, call it a day, go hug a tree, go become a Buddhist. Or you're going to fall at his feet and say, I don't understand your hand. I don't understand your hand, but I trust your heart. Something's going on here that's bigger than me, wider than me, broader than me, deeper than me, taller than me. Something more is going on here. And even though I don't understand, no big deal, still I trust you. It's so important when you don't understand that you stay in worship to God. Why should you worship when you don't understand, when you get chippied, when God doesn't come through, the God you were expecting? Because worship in a time of confusion says this, I don't understand your hand, but I trust your heart. Just because I don't get it doesn't mean you're not good. Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? A rhetorical question. The judge of all the earth will always do right. Worship keeps you postured for the blessing that is coming. Worship keeps the landmine of offense from blowing up under you. If you're worshiping the Lord when you don't get it, it's a hard thing to do. But you get those hands up and you worship Him and you thank God you're saved and you thank God you're covered in the blood. You thank God that though you don't understand, God is still good all the time. Life's not fair, but God is good. Life's not fair, but God is good. Life is always unfair, but God is always good. And you will always find the silver line of grace moving through every problem you experience. And if you'll hang with God, you'll see the end of a thing. And not just walk out in the middle of the book. If you become scandalized by the landmine of offense and walk away from Him... All is lost in terms of getting anything out of that trial. That was a wasted trial. You just wasted it. If you don't hang around and worship God and let Him work it out and work through it and give you a testimony, and every testimony comes from a test and some moaning. You don't get a testimony without some moaning and a test. Oh, when is this ever going to end? I'm like, God, God help me. I stay in the Word. I praise you, Lord, though I don't understand. And one day you come through it. And there you've got a test emoni from your moaning in a test. But if you walk away and get offended and pick up your marbles and go home, that whole trial was wasted. Worship keeps your heart right and it keeps your hands open for what God wants to do next. Listen to Habakkuk. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, Though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields are stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, even so, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. That's the word. That is the word. You wait on God's providence which is always slower than you, never on your timing, never on your schedule. 
God is not a microwave God. He marinades everything. Counting on God's rule to prevail, Habakkuk said, I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. God hasn't failed you. Remember to worship. And finally, you've got to keep a right attitude. I've got to talk to you. Listen, the, the magnitude of attitude is so important. The magnitude of attitude. Your attitude can ruin you. The thing about an attitude is it goes with you everywhere you go. It's either a bad one or a good one. Attitude. There are a lot of attitudes we can wait on God with. But the attitude when you're chippy is you've got to wait in faith and give God time. I wish I could put that way, way down in your soul. Wait in faith and give God time. Wait in faith and give God time. There are a lot of attitudes you can wait on God with. I've seen them. I've done them. You can wait with an angry attitude. You can wait with a doubtful attitude. You can wait with a skeptical attitude. You can wait on God like we husbands sometimes wait on our wives to appear when we're late for a date. I don't think my wife, now she's not terribly late, but at least once a week I'm looking at my watch. And here, here's how we wait. I wish I could tell you I wait with a song and a smile. But I don't always wait <laughs> with a song and a smile. But no, I, I, I wait pacing the floor. I wait looking at my watch. I wait counting the, the minutes as they go by. I wait wondering what in the world she could possibly be doing back there in the dark corridors of the makeup room. <laughs> I wish I could say that when she finally appears that my response is, darling, all is well. You look fantastic. I've loved this weight, but I'd be lying to you. Now, how many of you men can say amen? Tell me the truth. Stand behind me now. <laughs> and this is how often we wait on God. That's how we wait on God. We do this. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what my schedule is? Do you know how long I've been waiting for you? Even David said, how long, Lord? How long? How long? But the only effective way to wait on God is faith. You wait in faith or you'll wait badly. David the psalmist wrote, I would have lost heart in my trial. I would have lost heart unless I had believed. I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you hear that? He was waiting in faith. It was in his heart. I believe, even though I'm having to wait, that I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then he went on to say, wait in faith on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait in faith, I say, on the Lord. Again, he wrote, and this is one of my favorites, Psalms 40. I waited. How do you wait? Patiently. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. When did he incline? When did he hear? While David waited patiently. And he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of a pit of noise is the Hebrew. He brought me up out of a pit of noise and out of the miry 
and he set my feet on a rock, and he established my goings, and he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Why did God do all that? Because many are going to see it and trust in the Lord because of my faithful, victorious walk in Him. It's going to be on my face. It's going to be in my stride. It's going to be on my countenance. It's going to be in my heart. They're going to look and believe in God because of what He's done for me. What has God done for you? So you see, when, when, when life, and it will, chippies you, you've got a choice. You can sit there and stare the rest of your life and lose your song forever. And I rebuke that off of this congregation today. I want to tell you, you came to a dangerous place. If you want to keep your song out, we want your song in. I'm going to preach the song back into your heart. You've you got to get your song back. You've got to get your joy back. You've got to get your, your praise back. Don't let the devil have it. Don't let him have it. The way you do it is remembering, God didn't fail me. I worship you, Lord, though I don't understand. And I'm waiting in faith and I'm giving you time. And the providence of God is going to move on my behalf. And somehow, some way, someday, like it says of Job, he saw that the end of the Lord's dealings were good. And God gave him double for his trouble. Do you have your song today? Is it kind of rare for people who used to know you well to see the smile on your face anymore? Because life, somebody told me last week, you know, Pastor Jeff, life can be hard on you. I know, I didn't know that. <laughs> really? Shazam. <laughs> there comes a time in all of our lives where we make a decision. Am I going to lose my song and just become saved, have fire insurance? Or am I going to walk victoriously singing? Am I going to keep my song, my praise, my sacrifice of praise, my victory, my testimony, my smile? Am I going to stay salty for God? I think all of you want that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me today, would you? If, as you stand, there is something in your heart towards the Lord, an offense, would you consider saying, Lord, I should not have had an offense towards you in my heart. I'm asking you to help me to enter back into relationship with you like I used to be. I know a woman who was married to a preacher. And they were very, very, very close. And one day they got into a car wreck. And in this car wreck, her husband died in her arms. And from that moment on, she lost her faith. And she says, even when I get on my knees to pray, I can't bring myself to pray. Now, she'll tell you she's an agnostic, but she's not an agnostic. She's offended with God. 
when trouble hit, she didn't have deep enough roots, and she got offended, and she's walked away. And I so hurt for her. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for her. And the real shame is that she's brilliant and, and gifted and could do so much for the kingdom. But that took her out, took her song away. Let me tell you something. God never promised us life would be fair. But he did say, you keep your attitude right and you give me time and you worship me even in the tough times and I'll walk through it all with you and I'll bring you out on the other side tried like gold tried in the fire and your song will reach a lot of people the deeper your hurt the stronger your testimony the deeper your pain the more you got an ability to heal people who are hurting and so that's my message to you today don't be offended with God let's pray father I just thank you today that we don't understand everything. We never will till we get to the other side. But in your word, you have said, here's the fact. I don't fail you. And here's the fact. Worship me when you don't understand. And here's your attitude. Your attitude is to wait in faith, believing you're going to see the goodness of the Lord. Now, Lord, I pray for everyone here today that their song will be restored. If your song was chippied away. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Many people in here. I want you to pray a prayer with me right now. I want you to say, Lord, I call on you. Give me back my song. Give me back my song of faith and victory. Now I want you to say to the Lord, I receive inner healing today in Jesus name inner healing now I want to close with this say this to the Lord forgive me that I wrongly judged you restore my walk with you 